Thank you for joining us today on the Reach Community Church Podcast. We hope this week's message encourages and blesses you as we dive into God's Word together. Our mission at Reach is to see lives changed by Christ together in community by loving God, loving people, and reaching our world. We'd love to have you join us next Sunday. You can learn more about our mission at reachcommunitychurch.com. More than exhausting, I'm at my wit's end. Some of you are like, it's not that bad, but I remember when it was exhausting, and it will probably be exhausting again um, in the future. Um, Do you know what else is pretty exhausting, and you may feel awkward by me saying this, but uh, it's exhausting to live for Jesus. It is. Let's, let's be honest. To be holy and pure and be what he's called you to be is exhausting. And why do you think that is? I think it's because everything in us believes that we're smarter and we know better than God. And we show this, not maybe with our words. We, you probably wouldn't stand up in church and go, Yes, I am smarter than the Father, and everything he says, it's old and outdated, and I know how to do it better, and look at my life and how great it is. You, You wouldn't say that, but you say it, I say it every day when we live or act like that's true. When we live contrary to what we know that he said that we shouldn't do, and we suffer the consequences for that. Today I want to look at the book of Hebrews, um, and the central point of Hebrews, if you've never looked at the whole book of Hebrews, is that Jesus is greater. That is the fundamental point of Hebrews through and through, and I'm going to kind of give you an overview because uh, chapter 12 is, is you know, the chapter before the last, chapter 13, and so I'm going to try to give you an overview of what's going on that's going to lead us to this place that we're going to go into these 13 verses And see what it looks like to live in a world that is very exhausting and still survive it. So let's pray. Uh, Father, you know our hearts. Uh, You know our weariness. You know the ones that are in this room that are at their wits end that maybe don't even know why they're in this room and they're struggling so much that it's just overwhelming. Lord, um, you came from those. You, you literally said, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And we pray that today. Lord, as we hear your words and we feel the call um, to follow you and to look to you and to trust you, um, Lord, that we wouldn't do that out of our own effort and energy, but we would do that with you. So soften our hearts today. Uh, Lord, humble us in the... The easiest way possible, let us see our flaws and our failures and let us come to you, the author and perfecter of our faith, and let us be molded and shaped into your image. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. My one thing that you're going to hear in this um, is that we've got to keep our eyes. The solution to every bit of our exhaustion, it doesn't make it go away, but the solution is to set our eyes on the right thing, and the right thing is Jesus. The author of Hebrews is unknown. A lot of people believe it is between these three people, either Paul, Barnabas, or Apollos. It was written to a Jewish audience, hence the name Hebrews. They make a lot of, the author makes lots of assumptions in what he talks about all throughout 
the book of Hebrews, that those that he is talking to have a good understanding of the Torah, the Old Testament. They understand a lot of the topics that he's going to go through because he's basically going to go through all of these areas and say Jesus is greater. And we'll see this. Um, Jesus is superior to, and they're listed, chapters 1 and 2, as angels in the Torah. In the Old Testament, the angels were the one that would deposit the truth. They were the ones that gave Moses the, um, the, the law. They were the ones that would show up and, and give understanding and truth. So they, had, they were esteemed very high in the Torah, of course, the, Old Te- the first five books of the Old Testament. Those were the law. Those were the words of God. And in chapters 1 and 2, the author of Hebrews is telling them that Jesus is greater. And after each of these, he's going to give you a warning. If you, in the Old Testament, if you didn't listen to the law or the angels, you suffered. And he says, well, in the New Testament, if you're not going to listen to those and you don't listen to Jesus, it's even worse for you because he's greater than those things. In chapters 3 and 4, you get Moses and the promised land. So he talks about those things and that he's greater. So Moses was the leader of the people taking them out of exile into the promised land. Jesus is the better Moses. And he is the better promised land. There was this hope and dream that they would get to something that would be what they would be satisfied with. And the author here tells them that Jesus is greater. Chapters 5 and 7, you get the priest in Melchizedek. Uh, The priests were the ones that led the people through the religious ceremonies, helped them with the sacrifices so that they would be yearly brought to attention that they need to make atonement for their sin. But they also dealt with the reality that the priests still had to sacrifice for their own sin, that Jesus was a better priest. Even better than Mekilzadek, which was a priest that it's very little is written about him in the Old Testament. He showed up um, after a a victory of Abraham, and Abraham gives him 10%, which is really weird. Um, in that because he's kind of unknown, but it's this image of who he is, and I'm not going to get into all of that. There's some great stuff. Uh, feel free to re- research that on your own, but Jesus is greater than those. And then chapters 8 through 10, you get the sacrifice in the covenant, and Jesus is greater than those. His sacrifice, because the sacrifice that had to be made prior to Jesus had to be repeated over and over and over again. And if you read the Old Testament, you can only imagine how bloody... <laughs> The temple was sacrificing over and over. And Jesus is greater because he, for once and for all, became the last sacrifice. And he became the better covenant. The people could not live under the covenant correctly. They, it, they were a covenant-breaking people. There was never a picture or image of a people that got the law and got the stuff, and they're like, yes. We, we got this, we're going to do it. You see failure over and over and over again throughout the whole um, Old Testament. And Jesus came with a new covenant. And he becomes the one that we have the chance and opportunity to live with and be led by. See, the idea is that if you held those high, and this is speaking to a Jewish people, this is basically everything that they valued. And <laughs> the book of Hebrews is telling them Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. And then chapter 11, you get this, they call it like the Hall of Fame of faith. You get every biblical character that you can imagine listed 
in, in, in small ways tell what they did. And the one thing that you will realize as you read through chapter 11 of Hebrews is that every one of them were a slightly flawed individual. They weren't perfect. They, they weren't perfect. They, you know, you look at just Abraham, the father of the faith, midway through, um, took the advice of his wife, which I'm not blaming her, um, but she took the advice of his wife, be like, hey, you should, you should have, it's not working out with us, you should have a kid with this other lady. And I'll just say that most of the conflict that we have in our world right now is because of that mistake. Right now. You're like, what is he talking about? Look it up later. Look it up later. But you see over and over again, by faith, I mean, God still led people in their imperfections through. And you, you have this, and I'm just, uh, this isn't my message today, but I just feel like this is the message for weariness. If you don't navigate the middle, you'll never make it to the end. And every one of these faith journeys that you see in chapter 11 had a lot of middle. We read them in a chapter or two, and we think, oh man, like God spoke to them, God showed up. Some of those were 25-year gaps like it was with Abraham, or 17-year gaps like it was with Joseph. There wasn't like, hey, do this, and immediately God intervened, and it was perfect. It was a journey over and over again. And it was, and how did they accomplish those things? By faith. It wasn't their effort. It wasn't their energy. And this is the lie, I believe, that is heard over and over again in the Christian church. If you work harder, you'll fix it. You can fix yourself. Some of you right now are just thinking, I'm going to work harder tomorrow and I'm going to be better. You cannot. You cannot. And the more you do that, the more in trouble you're going to be. And you're like, are you telling me not to do anything? Absolutely not. I'm telling you to look to Jesus, which is what we're going to talk about today. So we're going to jump into Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. And we're going to go through 13. It actually goes through 18, but like I have a limited amount of time. And I've realized that if I get much over 10 verses on a Sunday morning, like I'm in trouble, at least especially for first service, because we have another service that we got to get out of here. Um, so we're going to jump into verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. He just gave us this whole this cloud, these people. He, he's, he's letting you know on this journey that you're going to undertake there are people that have gone before you. There are people now. There will be people in the future that will be in the same place that you are. This isn't unique to you. Your weariness, your overwhelmness isn't yours alone. This is something that has been experienced for decades, for, since the beginning of time. I don't know about you, but um, if, if you missed me last week, there was a few of us that did some really stupid... We paid paid good money, actually $150, if you don't include the $25 shirt that I also paid for, they didn't give it to you, they didn't give it to you, $175 to have a shirt that I'll probably never wear other than a workout, and a patch, that's what you got, and so for 15 hours, 77 of us at Carolina Beach, and I don't know if you woke up when it was like in the night or early in the morning, it was disgusting, rained, all night, 50 degrees, 15-mile-hour winds. We spent six hours on Carolina Beach, and it wasn't beautiful. It wasn't pretty. 
It wasn't nice. I don't like the beach in the warm weather. I definitely don't like it when it's raining in 50. And we carried a weight, probably 50 pounds, and then we had to carry all this other stuff all night, 15 hours. I'm still like, if you come tap me on my shoulders, I'm a week out, my shoulders still hurt. So don't do that for fun, okay? They're getting better. But I want to just say, like, when you, when you look at this, it says, and, and this is the truth. I heard this quote um, this week. I meant to write it down. It says that, you know, you cannot live an authentic life with Jesus and have a love relationship or any relationship with sin. We cannot live in this place that God wants us to be and be okay with sin. And what he's talking about here is sin. <laughs> you know, some of us, well, let's not say some of us, every single person in this room is dealing with some sin. You're like, yeah, just right there, just that attitude that you just tote back at me like, no, I'm not. Liar, you are. And maybe it's pride, maybe it's error, whatever that is. But what he's saying here, God has a journey set out for you, a beginning and an end, and a lot of middle, remember, and he wants you to make it to the end. And it's a lot easier if you get rid of that weight. It would have been a lot easier to cover the 19 miles that we covered in that 15 hours to not carry anything. That's not the point of the event that we did, but that's the you know, it's just easier. Go home, put some put a book bag, throw a weight in the back of it, and go for a run. It's horrible. And it, but if you go for like a quarter mile run with a lot of weight on you, and you take that weight off of you, you're like, man, this is a lot easier. And, and that's what it's talking about here with sin. Lay it aside. It doesn't say, hey, pick it up later, chuck it off, get rid of it. We can't stay. In this place, I think uh, there was another quote. I think Thomas Watson, he was, a, um, I think, a Puritan. I could be wrong. Um, but he said that um, uh, we, can't, we can't truly love God until we loathe sin. I think he also said, or this might have been another guy that said, um, uh, either be killing sin or sin will be killing you. It, it is, and I hate using this word because it has lots of meaning, but it is the cancer that is ruining our culture. It is the thing, and the, the crazy part of it is there is a cure for this, and his name is Jesus. So he says all this. He says, since we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily clings, and let us run the race with endurance, because it is a long race. It is not a short. If you're hoping that... Getting to know Jesus is going to get you to this place of just this finality. And in moments, you're in the wrong place. And every pastor, every Christian that's ever said, if you say yes to Jesus, life is going to be easy and your bank account's going to be full, they have lied to you. Probably they just asked for money right before they did that. They probably said, hey, sow that seed and then you're going to get blessed. No, no. There, there's no easy. This, we're on this journey because we, we know the destination that we're going. Verse 2, it says, looking to Jesus. This is the key here. How are we going to get there? How are we going to cast off? How are we going to know what to cast off? We look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Where you look matters. Where you put your attention matters. For you to make it to the end of whatever journey that God has you on, you had to set your 
eyes on the right thing. Because if you set it on the wrong thing, we saw this with Peter. Peter sees Jesus walking out on the water and he was like, they were terrified. And Peter's like, hey, if it's you, Lord, call me out there. What happened? He, he stepped out of the boat onto the water. And I want to know what that first, that first, like, did he like, did he test it? Did he just, did he just jump out there? Or where was his faith at? But somewhere along the ways, what happened? He took his eyes off of Jesus. And when, when we, like Peter, take our eyes off of Jesus, we sink. Because you don't have the capacity to do what God has called you to do. You don't have the endurance to get there without Jesus. See, if you're hoping that something within you will help you run the race, that you're, you're looking to the wrong place. It starts with Jesus and is completed with Him. Don't be so foolish. I, I, I think it's Galatians 3. 3. I, I hate when I don't write things down, but it says... You know, that what God began in the spirit, are you so foolish? Well, don't be so foolish. What God began in the spirit, you're trying to complete in the flesh. Like it can't like you didn't get saved by your work and your effort. You got saved because of the grace of God. You won't make it past this by your work and effort. Look at this. Ephesians 2 verse 8, starting in verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. We just saw that all through chapter 11. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, one of the things that you have to understand in the the picture that you get, it says, for his joy. If you want to know how you're going to endure, how you're going to get through this, you have to set your eyes on what's to come. Jesus endured the cross. Many of us think, well, he's God. You know, wasn't that big a deal? Man, this guy was sweating bullets. He had a conversation with the Father the night before. He's sweating blood, literally. And he's like, Father, if there's another way, let's go that way. He wasn't like, oh, the cross, I'm going to the cross. But he was willing for what would come out of the cross to endure it. And the only way that we make it through our journey is to understand where we're going. If it's just a better now, if your goal is only a better now so that you can have a better marriage or your kids will be better, you're in trouble because there'll be moments when you're in the middle where it won't look better, but God will be making it better. But in the middle, it will look like it's falling apart. I'm sure Joseph felt the same thing when he was almost killed by his brothers, when he was sold into slavery, when he was faithfully doing a good job for his master. His master's wife accused him of rape, threw him in jail, and he spent all of this time. I'm sure in the middle he isn't thinking, man, God loves me. He was. He's the one person that you don't see complaints. I'm not saying that he didn't complain, but he's the one person that all you see of him recorded there in each of these transitions is that he was faithful. He was faithful. When the woman asked, which he was out of his culture, he was out, no one was there to witness this, he could have easily, and what did he say? No, I ain't going to get in trouble, I ain't going to jail. He said, how could I sin against my God? See, Jesus, for the joy, he understood what was on the other side of the cross. See, his suffering was temporary, and now he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We have to understand that that this life, light and momentary, like a vapor, 
we may not see what we're promised until the other side. And, and you're like, well, that's not fair. There's mar- martyrs. There's people right now. The, the countries that have the fastest growing population of Christians have the worst persecution. You, you want to know why I believe that uh, Christianity in North America, in the USA, is growing? Because it's easy. Most of you can make life pretty livable where you're like, oh, you know, it's all right. You know, when you get on the other side, when you have no capacity other than relying completely on Jesus, it changes things. And then when it changes things, it changes you. And you get to see God move. And the more you see God move, the more you're willing to over and over again say, look what God has done in me. This is easy. You may think, it's not easy. You don't know my life. It is easy. Go look at other countries. Look at what's happening around our world. Verse 3, it says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your... And this is, this is a funny verse. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood. You're still alive. Everyone in this room is still alive. So whatever struggle that you've had with sin, it has not killed you yet. You know, like, it feels like it, but it doesn't. Just, I mean, if you just need a reminder, just take a breath, let it out, and be like, oh, I'm still alive. And Jesus is saying, hey, don't look. And here's the danger that we get into being in a culture where you see externally what's going on in people's lives. Because you look around, even in this room, and you're like, well, their life is so much easier than mine. Their life is so, you know, it's just better. You know, I loved it when... Jesus had restored Peter, and he's talking to Peter about how he's going to die. He made it through this, I've just died, I'm going to go to heaven, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, but I need you to know that there will be a season in your life where you don't get to pick what you're going to wear, and your arms are going to get stretched out, because he was crucified, upside down. And you know what he did? He didn't go, praise be to the Lord, what did he do? He said, what about that guy over there? What about John? What about John? How are you going to kill him? How are you going to kill him? You better be killing him. <laughs> he didn't say that, but he did ask, what about John? And Jesus is like, don't you worry about John. Don't worry about it. And that's the thing that we have to be careful of. We will set our view on other people and go, well, what's wrong with me? Why, why is God angry at me? Why is God doing this? You have no idea what's going on looking across the room at the smiles and the seemingly happy lives of people across the aisle from you. You have no idea what they're struggling with, what's going on inside of them. So you cannot look to others and go, man, I want my life to be more like this. You have no idea what you're asking for in saying that. So we're to consider him. Look to him, the author and perfecter, and to encourage and strength. Look at this in Isaiah 41.10. It says, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You've not resisted to the point of shedding blood, because you're still here. He is worth it. Now, I'm going to get into this large section. Uh, it's about six verses. It's going to talk about discipline, and I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to not offend anybody. Probably already have because I mentioned discipline. 
Uh, verse 5 says, and, I have, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addressed you as son? He's getting ready to quote uh, from the Old Testament here. It says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is here whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time and it's as it seemed best to them. But, the discipline, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness that those who have been trained by it. God is not interested or willing for you to remain the same. He's not. He doesn't want you to get enough of him so that you get to heaven. He wants to get Enough. He wants you to have enough of him so that you are conformed to his image slowly and surely over and over again. He won't let you stay the same. And most of our struggle in Christianity is our desire to have heaven but to not be changed. And those don't happen. Because to have heaven, we have to have Jesus. And to have Jesus, we will be changed. I heard someone say this, you know, meeting Jesus, meeting the Holy Spirit, the power that rose people from the dead is like um, getting hit by a Mack truck. Like if you were late to church today and you're like, man, sorry I was late, I got hit by a Mack truck, we'd be like, "Uh, you okay? We'd be looking for some injury or something, and it's the same thing when we have an encounter with the living God, we should be changed, and we should be getting changed every day. He doesn't fix you. He's the author. He begins it. And perfecter. And that perfection is discipline. And you're like, I don't like discipline. No one likes discipline. No one. If you do, you're weird. I mean, I don't. I mean, it it seems like I like discipline because I get up early and I do all these things. I don't. I'm just afraid of what happens when I'm not disciplined. 100%. 100%. It's the fear of what will happen. No one likes it, but what he's saying here is that he loves you so much that he's not willing. He'll do whatever is necessary to shape you because he has a view of you that he wants to see come to be because that view of you, that being made in his image is what he's going to help shape and mold those around you. And so, and I say this a lot, some people don't like it, Jesus never rescues you just for you. Jesus rescues you because he has a plan for you that includes others. And part of us being shaped and molded by him is so that others would see the grace and mercy that we get to experience as we walk through his discipline. 
He loves us too much to stay there. This is where, in his image, when we conform to that, it's where we experience joy and peace and purpose. Listen to this in 1 Peter 1, verse 6. In this you rejoice. Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the testing, that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, in our sin, he talks about us, as, and I know some of us have had horrible examples of an of a earthly father. And I know some of this could be potentially painful because they're just statistically in here. There's probably abuse that has happened at the hand of an authority figure, a father. But I, I want to say this, that everyone in this room, that that isn't you, and you didn't, you're, you're trying to, uh, in our sin, which we're sinful people trying to do the best we can, and I have three children, 21, 19, and 14, and every day I'm like, Lord, help me. In our sin, we're trying to do the best for our children. Every good parent, let me, let me just say this and judge me if you want. You're not a good parent if you allow your children to do whatever they want because they do not have the wisdom or discernment to lead themselves. Now, I'm not saying that we perfectly, remember I said in our sin, and there's a lot of sin in parenting, because we're there. A lot of sin in parenting. But in our sin, we want the best. Like everything that I've tried to do for my children, even in my flaws, I've tried to do it for their benefit. So that hopefully, as they grow, they will know Jesus. As they grow, they would be changed. How much more perfect is our Heavenly Father's discipline? And you're like, what is that? I have a high view of God's sovereignty, which means that I think everything, everything, God will use to shape and mold you. All things happen for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God will take horrible things that have happened to you, and he can bring the best out of it. See, some of, some of what God does in us is when we just get, come to him and say, God, I don't know why these happen, and I'm a little angry. Like, I think it's okay to be angry with God. I think it's okay to say words, read Psalms, read through David. He complains over and over. But the end of his complaints, at the end of his complaints, his laments, he says, but I trust you. We don't have to understand it. And, and this is part of what we look at when we look through the lens of discipline is are we willing for God to change you if it will benefit you in the future? Because remember, our view isn't the now. Our view is the future. Eternity. And discipline, I'm going to say this word. Sorry if little ears. This is kind of a bad word in our house. Not really. Don't get scared. Um, it sucks. In the moment. But I'm just telling you, and, and that my, my 15, like I hate doing these events. I've done three of them that I just did last weekend. I didn't want to do this one. But at the end of them, I'm always grateful for coming through that moment because it, it, it does something in you when you get to like, I got no more. And let me just tell you, at 3 o'clock in the morning, I was, I was 
I was rethinking my life decisions. I'm like, I'm not a wise man. I need someone else to make plans for me because, like, I'm dumb enough to do this again and again and again. But you know what? I, 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 went, in, I went into it, going to quote two verses. Um, <clears throat> Philippians 2.4, which says, Do all things without grumbling and complaining. I'm a whiner. If you've been around me, especially for a workout, if somebody throws out burpees, I'm just I'm going to say I don't like it. But like part of my thing was like I'm just going to like, hey God, you got something for me tonight. And the other one was Galatians 2:20, which is I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives me lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself up for me. Like I, there was pieces of the night that I could not. I was like delirious. I'm like, <laughs> I'm mumbling. The guy beside me, we we took like a, a two-hour walk down the beach, quiet. We couldn't talk. I think they do that on purpose so you introspect, see like what's going on. And I'm like, I'm whispering. I'm sure he's like, he's lost his mind. <laughs> I think if he's got a knife, he might stab me. Um, but I'm like, God, what do, you, what do you want to do? Because at the end of every hard season, there's a lesson that I'm so grateful that I learned. At the end of the season that God has you in, if you're willing to make it through the middle, God will build. And here, here's, here's, here's something. If you, if you blow up the middle and you're still alive, it's not over. You're still in the middle. You know what he's going to do? What I believe he's going to do over and over again, he's going to work on you, shape and mold you to get you to this end. This is where we're going. Like, I, I, I hope that the moment um, we leave this body and we're in the presence of God, I hope that I get to see all of the reasons. And I don't think I'll need them. I don't think I'll be like, God, why'd you do this? Why'd you allow this? Why'd you do this? But I, I hope there's a piece of me that I get to see all the joy that is experienced by people that I've walked with and through things because they're on the other side seeing this. Verse 12, it says, therefore, lift up your drooping heads. Yes, if you've just been disciplined, if you're in the middle, you're like, I spent a lot of time looking at the dirt all night. And I was really grateful as we walked for a couple miles on the beach that it rained, because when it rains in the soft sand, it makes it a little harder, which makes it a little bit easier to walk on. Thank the Lord. So you've got to count your blessings. Like, thank the Lord. <clears throat> Lift your drooping heads and strengthen your weak knees, weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not put you out of joint, but rather be healed. See, your father is working. We just need to learn to not judge his work until we see the end of it. Because in the middle... We don't want to be like Sarah and Abraham in the middle going, hey, I think we can figure this out. I think we should, because God isn't, we, we should make things happen. I think some of the most dangerous things that we can do as Christians is try to make something happen that God isn't doing. We get a whole other people group out of that and cause a lot of trouble. We trust or learn to trust in the Father. So here's a couple of questions for you as we round this out. I think this is kind of the most important question and one of the things that I hopefully say every week. Are you his son or daughter? Because really, all the conversation that we have 
there, there, there's no hope. There, there's no peace in the discipline unless we're his kids. Because you could be going through hard things and not be his kid and have no hope because there's not something, someone out there doing in your life what you can trust that the Father is doing. So are you his son or daughter? And here's the truth of the gospel. You cannot save you. You cannot. He knew that. And this is the beauty of Hebrews is that God exposes all of his effort to show people that they could not save themselves because everything that he went through that we talked about at the beginning, they were flawed systems that were pointing to what Jesus was going to do on the cross. They needed to know that they had a need that they could not overcome, that they could not be freed from. So that when Jesus showed up on the scene, that they would be looking to him. And, um, and one of the things with our young pros we've been reading, or one of our, our tasks over the last um, two weeks was to read the whole um, Gospel of John. And reading from beginning to end in a short period of time, you get to see what Jesus is doing. You, you get to see what he's saying. And you get to see that, that they wanted to get rid of him a lot earlier. And, it's, and it just said over and over again, it's not his time. They, they wanted to kill him. They couldn't kill him because it wasn't his time because he had a purpose and a plan. And that plan was not going to be thwarted. He was going to go to the cross. Pilate, in his conversation with Jesus, he was like, hey, he did not want to crucify Jesus. Pilate didn't. And he's like, don't you understand that I have the authority to set you free? That I, I," and and what did Jesus say? You only have the authority to do what the Father has allowed you to do. See, the cross had to happen because we needed a Redeemer. And Jesus became the perfect, once and for all, sacrifice, the last lamb to be laid out. And we, we get to trust in his work over and over again. That means waking up. See, I think sometimes we look at salvation as this momentary thing that we step out of belief and into belief, and then we're done. And it is, I'm not trying to oversimplify, it is, but it isn't. It begins us on this journey, this relationship that we live with the Father. The Father doesn't want to just, he wants sons and daughters. He doesn't want illegitimate children. When you read through the Gospel of John, it says all those that came over, that didn't come through the gate, all those that came from over the fence, they weren't me. And he's saying, hey, I want you to trust me. I want you to live with me. He wants to be our shepherd. He wants to lead us in your peace and you're making it through whatever's going on in your life is learning to live with him over and over. So if you aren't his son or daughter, fix that. And that could be as easy as today when we do worship at the end of our service to just say, hey, God, I, I need you. I mean, I spent 18 years in church knowing about Jesus but not surrendering to Jesus. And one of the reasons I preach the way I preach, I'm assuming that I'm living in the South this is the South. I'm assuming the majority of you, not all of you, but the majority of you grew up in and around church. And one of the most dangerous things, and I said this two weeks ago, one of the most dangerous things that you can have is you got inoculated to Jesus. You got just enough Jesus through all of the, the flannel boards and all of the sermons that you've heard that you feel like, I've got it all. And I know from my own personal experience that I spent all that time, and if you and I had a conversation prior to... Um, July of my senior year, I would have told you all the right answers. But I didn't know Jesus. 
I was not his son or daughter. I was um, culturally Christian. I, I wasn't his son. And that changed in July of 1994 um, at the end of a very traumatic, it wasn't, you know, like, it was traumatic to me. But God wrecked my life and introduced me to his son, um, and here I am. God wants you on this journey because it is weary and it is exhausting, and it is only exhausting when you leave, leave or be being led through it by yourself. So my encouragement to you, if that's where you're at, get to know the Father. And, I mean, and that's a journey to, to continue this relationship with Him. And so that, that's my first question. I'm going to get our worship team to come up. I've got a few more questions here for you. So my second question after that, are you a son or daughter? Because that's the, the critical one. Uh, my second question is, where are your eyes fixed? Because the word that we just said, it said, fix our eyes on Jesus. And if you're going through something, your eyes are on something else. Maybe the scenario, maybe what's going on, maybe the surrounding, maybe the world. And you're in trouble. You need to fix your attention and focus to Jesus. My next question for you is, where do you need to submit to his discipline? Where do you need to acknowledge that... Father, I, I trust you in the middle of this. I mean, no one, is, you know, there's no sign-up sheet that you're going to put your name on and be like, yes, Father, I want that discipline. I want it. But where do you need to just say, Father, I don't know if this is you. I don't know if this is Satan. I don't know what's going on, but you are sovereign over me because I'm your child. And I'm going to submit to that because I want to learn. And I'm telling you, I don't know how many, pray, how many times I've prayed this prayer over my lifespan of knowing Jesus is going, I don't know what you're going, I don't know what you're doing, but I want to surrender to it. I want to learn that lesson because he is really interested in you learning the lesson. He's, he's willing for you to repeat that lesson. And I've, I'm, I'm not that smart. I've repeated lots of lessons over my life. And so where do you need to submit to his discipline? Here's my last question for you is what paths do you need to make straight? It says that, you know, cast that weight off. And the obvious is potentially there's sin in your life that you need to deal with. And I know you're thinking to yourself, I'm dealing with it. But if, if you're saying right now that you're dealing with it, <laughs> it's not gone. Um, the only proper way for you to deal with what's going on is invite Jesus into that. And then ask for help. Look, I think we, we need to um, learn to trust other brothers and sisters and say, hey, I, I, need, I just need somebody. And I'm telling you what, accountability, um, it, it, it's risky, but it is so fruitful. It is fruitful when you have other people in your life that you just say, hey, like, I, I need this. I need help, and I, I'm acknowledging this is the, this is the way I want to go. This is what I want out of my life, and I want you just to ask me. Um, we're, if you're new to REACH, there's people that have lanyards on that say prayer team. There's people that have these orange lanyards on too. One of the things that we do, uh, since we've gone to two services, since we don't have quite the space that we had when we were at one, is that if you need prayer, if you're like, man, I, I don't really know what to do. I, I just I need prayer. There's things that are going on in my life. Um, there's something that happens when you just verbalize and just say, I need 
I need help with this. Just pray and have people in agreement. So the people are going to be all throughout the room when service ends. If you need prayer, just find them. They would love, I'm telling you, it would make their day. They want to pray for you. And I see lots of lanyards. There's lots of people in this room. So let's pray. Lord, you are so gracious and you are so good. I pray that you would give us eyes to see how much you love us. Lord, I pray for those in this room that are just hurt and wounded because they they feel like you're out to get them, that you want to destroy them. And Lord, I, I pray that you would change our sight to see that everything that you do for us as a father is for our good. Help us live in that place. And so, Lord, I pray that you would expose uh, sin in our life. I pray that today we would be willing to acknowledge that we have issues, that we want to walk out of these things. We want to fix our eyes on Jesus and be people that overcome not by our effort and energy, but by your work in us. So, Lord, do what needs to be done. If there's people in this room that they cannot say that they are a son or a daughter of you, Lord, I pray that you would you'd welcome them into the family today. Lord, that you would open their hearts, that you would do what we read over and over again in Ezekiel, that you would change, that you would take away the heart of stone, that you would put a heart of flesh so that we can. Lord, we need that. We just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today on the Reach Community Church Podcast. We'd love to have you join us next Sunday. You can learn more about our mission at reachcommunitychurch.com.